Well, this morning, as we open God's precious word together, I would like you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 14. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, underneath there, if you need one. And if you don't know how to use a Bible, that is okay. I think you'll be able to follow along as I read this morning. Last week, we had our missionary, Steve Mayo, with us all day. And so this morning, um, we return to our study, working through the Gospel of John, just beginning. And for our communion meditation, for our hearts and minds this morning, I have chosen just to focus on one verse. And in John 1.14, we read this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, our first point this morning is the great sentence. John 1.14 is the great sentence for which the Gospel of John was written. You could say that verse 14 is the gateway into the Gospel of John. If you understand verse 14, it will help you to understand and to correctly and accurately interpret the rest of the Gospel of John, all 21 chapters. I believe that the Bible is all equally inspired from the beginning to the end, but we would all, I think, acknowledge that there are great verses in the Bible. And this certainly ranks as one of the great verses in the Bible. It says, and the word became flesh. And we immediately have to go to the first four verses of this chapter that we've looked at. And read them again, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then almost in stunning fashion. It says in verse 14. And the word. And the word. Became flesh. It tells us. That the God of the universe. The transcendent. Majestic. All powerful. All knowing God of heaven and earth. Became a man. And the word who was God, entered into our history as a man so that men could see him and behold the glory of God. We think of Matthew one twenty three, which we traditionally read at Christmas time, where it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. God with us. The Word. The Son. 
became human without ceasing to be God. And I want that to kind of be locked in your minds as we go through this this morning. The Word, the Son became human without ceasing to be God. When Jesus Christ became a man, He retained all the attributes of God in their perfectness all the time. When Jesus Christ became a man, he retained all the attributes of God in all of their perfectness all the time. And the Apostle John tells us the amazing fact that the word not only became flesh, but he dwelt among us. And the phrase, dwelt among us, literally means to dwell in a tent. If you studied the Gospel of John before, you may know this. But I want to be sensitive to the fact that for some of you, perhaps you've never heard this before. It is saying, and the Word became flesh and dwelt in a tent among us. It is a great reference to the Old Testament tabernacle. Early in the Old Testament, before the Temple of Solomon was ever built, during the leadership of Moses, as the children of Israel wandered through the wilderness, the great place where they would meet together was the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. It was this huge tent, and in this tent you would go in, And there would be the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was at, and the wings of the cherubim hovered over it. It was symbolic of the very presence of God himself, and it was partitioned off by a great curtain. And outside of the Holy of Holies was the table of showbread, and the golden lampstand, and the altar of incense. And then you would go out to the courtyard. And there would be the great altar for sacrifices and the great basin in which the priests would wash. Aaron and his sons would wash before they would go in and minister. It was the place where Moses met with God. It was the place where Aaron and his sons ministered on behalf of God. In fact, the phrase could be translated, and the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And I want you to know that everything about the Old Testament tabernacle, everything to the colors, to the articles, to the way they were placed, point to Jesus. It is a whole sermon series in and of itself how the Old Testament tabernacle points us to Jesus. And I want you to understand in verse 14, through the revealed word of God, John is telling us that the fulfillment of the Old Testament tabernacle has come. Jesus completely fulfilled all of its aspects. And I want to give you, because some of you may not be familiar with this, I'm just going to give you six brief examples this morning. Of how Jesus is for us today the fulfillment of the Old Testament tabernacle. First, the tabernacle was the center of Israel's camp. 
The angel of the Lord in a cloud would hover over the tabernacle. And as long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, the children of Israel were to stay where they were at. And all 12 tribes of Israel camped in a specific order around the tabernacle. But when the cloud lifted, they were to move, to move the tabernacle and follow the cloud so God would lead them and God would guide them. And today, Jesus is the center of the church. He is the head of the church. We call him our Lord. We call him our master. He leads us and he guides us. Our greatest desire is to do his will and to follow him. Second, the tabernacle was the place where the law of Moses was preserved. When, law, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of stone, if you remember, the children of Israel were sinning against the Lord and Moses broke the tablets. But he carved out two more tablets, went back up on Mount Sinai, and by the finger of God, God wrote the Ten Commandments, the law of the Lord on those tablets. Then Moses brought them, and he placed them in the Ark of the Covenant to be preserved for the people of Israel. And for us today, Jesus is the complete fulfillment of the law of Moses. He perfectly obeyed the law. He obeyed every aspect of it. And now his righteousness and his perfect obedience has been transferred to us. Third, the tabernacle, even as I mentioned, was the dwelling place of God. The Ark of the Covenant with the wings of the cherubim is where the symbolic presence of God was. Yes, we know that God is everywhere present, but he symbolically was present in the holy of holies and that is there where they would go and meet with him and today today for the church Jesus is the very presence of God for us his name is Emmanuel God with us he has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us Jesus told his disciples, Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And Jesus Christ lives within every believer by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Fourth, the tabernacle was the place of revelation. Moses would go in and meet with God and his face would become radiant. Just being in the very presence of God. And God would reveal himself to Moses. Reveal his character to Moses. And then tell Mo Moses how he wanted the people to live. How they were to relate to him. And Moses would go and tell the people. Well as we will see even more this morning. And then tonight to Jesus is the revelation of God. He is the revelation of the character of God. And the glory of God. And we see God in Jesus. He reveals to us through the pages of Holy Scripture who God is. How we are to relate to God. How we are to live as God has designed for us. Fifth, the tabernacle was the place where sacrifices were made. Aaron and his sons would come and offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And we know, of course, that Jesus is the final, ultimate, perfect sacrifice. We will see later in this study that John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. 
who takes away the sin of the world. No more need for sacrifices because the perfect sacrifice, the complete fulfillment of the Old Testament tabernacle has now come. Sixth, the tabernacle was the place where the people of Israel worshipped. They would gather together and they would worship God around the great tent of meeting, why it is called the tent of meeting. And today, wherever believers are around the world, in various places, in buildings or homes or wherever they may be gathered together, the center of our worship is Jesus. On the second day of February 2020, we have come here for the specific purpose of exalting and lifting up and honoring our Lord and King Jesus Christ. And the Word became flesh and pitched His tent among us. Well, our second point is the glory of God. In the person of Jesus Christ, we see the glory of God. In the middle part of verse 14, it says, And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Now, when John writes... And we have seen his glory. He may be referring here to the fact that he saw Jesus in his revealed glory and his glorified body on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter and James. Peter, James, and John were with with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So that is certainly a possibility, but I think there is something far more here. We also see the glory of God in everything that Jesus is, in everything that he does, because he reveals the character of God as the unique son from the Father, the only one given the right and privilege to reveal God to us in all of his fullness. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the Father. As we see Jesus in the pages of Scripture, in his person, in his teaching, in his miracles, in his rebuking, of the demonic world, we see the glory of God. We behold the glory of God. I think of John chapter 2 that we will look at in the near future, where Jesus turns the water into wine. And it says this miracle was the first that he performed in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. You see, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity and embodies all the attributes of God, all of them. In John 17 and verses 4 and 5, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, he prays to the Father and says this, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son, the only son from the father. But there's something else in verse 14. This great verse tells us that Jesus reveals the glory of God because he is full of grace and truth. 
And I want you to take note of the word full. It is so important here. The word full means filled to the brim. No possibility of being any more than he is. It means this, Jesus is perfect grace and he is perfect truth. He is perfect grace and he is perfect truth. Jesus is full of grace. Grace, as you may know, is the unmerited undeserved favor, kindness, and love of God to those who are completely undeserving. So we who deserve nothing through the death and resurrection of Christ and our belief in Him are given everything. He constantly treats us with grace. Doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us His kindness, His love, his affection toward us. He has made us his own sons and daughters. And the only reason we are here today, the only reason we exist moment by moment each day is because of the grace of God. But not only is he full of grace, he is full of truth. The word truth in the New Testament can mean slightly different things depending on the context of the passage. Here the word truth refers to the truth about the character of God. That's what it means here. He is full of truth. Jesus reveals to us the truth about who God is. God can't be anything you want him to be. You can't just sit around and imagine God to be what you want him to be. You must accept him and relate to him and worship him as he has revealed himself in the pages of scripture. And Jesus is the fullness, the perfectness of the truth about God. In fact, your eternal destiny depends upon your relationship to the eternal truth, Jesus Christ. But before we go to communion this morning, I want you to think of something with me. Jesus had to be full of both grace and truth. Not one or the other. He had to be full of both full of grace and full of truth. When Jesus died on the cross, God had to be true to himself. He had to punish sin. He had to. In order that the truth of God might be borne out. In order to be true to himself, he had to punish sin. And so he punished Jesus Christ for our sins. And thereby, through Jesus Christ, he could then show us grace upon grace. Tonight we'll look at verse 16 where it says, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. I want you to think about that. On the cross, God had to be true to himself 
He had to punish sin. And so he punished Jesus for your sin so that through Jesus he might show you grace. As we go to the Lord's Supper this morning, as we take the bread and the cup, let us be eternally, eternally thankful that Jesus is full. He is full of grace and truth. At this time, we will share the Lord's Supper together.